you don't need any reminder why, why we're together, but, but it always helps, uh, especially on a really nice day like today, and you can be doing a dozen other things. I, I couldn't, by the way, I couldn't decide when I woke up this morning if I was delighted it was such a beautiful day or disappointed. Uh, for me, it's, it doesn't matter, but for you, it seems like it would be easier if it was just a nasty day out and, uh, and, and being inside was the place to be. But... Here's, here's what Mark 4 says. It's the, it's the parable of the sower. It's the story of the sower. And the, the, the sower, Christ himself, he, he scatters the seed. And our interest is to be fruitful as, as the Lord works in our own hearts. For, for our purposes this morning, one of, the, one of the challenging moments that comes a little bit later in the story when, when Jesus clarifies it for the disciples, is here are some of the reasons that you're not unfruitful. And as the story picks up momentum, or as the interpretation picks up momentum, one of them is the worries of the world. The worries of the world crowd in, and they, the, 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 the work of the Spirit in your heart somehow seems to seems to be limited because we are so distracted by things apart from Christ. So as a result, what scripture is saying, there's, there, there is a, we come because there is a beauty to God's word as he speaks to us in the midst of, of the burdens of life. We also come because worries and burdens are nothing to be trifled with. They're not the kind of thing that should ever be left unattended. Left unattended, they will distract us, and our lives will, will gradually turn more and more from Christ. I remember a man in our church who, who was an, an inveterate worrier. He was, he was, if it's possible to be more skilled at worry than me, he was actually more skilled at it than I was. And, and so we began to speak about Scripture, and, and here's a man who, who has been a follower of Christ for really most of his life. He, he said, well, I've already tried that. I've already tried that. I've tried Jesus and, and he doesn't work. Can you, can you hear it? There, a, a lifetime of worry had, had changed him. There, the scripture that talks about living hope, it, it, it was, he was immune to it at that point. The seed had, had not been bearing fruit. So there is a... There is an attentiveness, at least, that the scripture calls us to as we consider these, these very important matters. So, we go for this walk, and Jesus speaks with us. And what are we aiming for on this walk? Our, our goal, I hope we've gotten a sense of this last night, that our goal is not to be successful where we're going to eradicate worry from our lives. That's not the goal. In, in fact, my own, as, as reflecting on my own history this morning, I, I find myself to be a, 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 a really very skilled worrier. It's, it's almost like my specialty. Uh, but I noticed that it wasn't necessarily that way my entire life. When I was in college... I'd wake up at 8 o'clock and decide if I would go to calculus or not. And I would decide I wasn't going to go. And that was it. It was all really quite simple. I, 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 I find that, for me, worries have increased as I've gotten older. I came to Christ when I was 20. Uh, and, and some of you might say, why am I talking to this person whose worries are only, only getting worse? Uh, but... But I, 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 at least I'm trying to defend myself. <laughs> that, that our goal is not to eradicate worries. There's something, there's something sweet about worries because they're an opportunity to grow as a child. And we're eager for any opportunity to, go, to grow in, in being like a child. But my experience is that the older I get, the more as I go on this walk, Jesus is speaking and, and all of a sudden I'm distracted by the cloud over there. All of a sudden I'm distracted by, 
Uh, it's getting late. I haven't called my wife yet. Uh, uh, it's one thing after another. And, and, and Jesus calls me back. Sometimes he'll say, he'll say your name. In scripture, and Jesus is big on names, it seems. He calls your name. And sometimes, you know, when we hear somebody speaking, but we're preoccupied with our worries, when they say our name, all of a sudden we, we're, we're back on task. And he'll say our name. We're back on task and our attention gradually drifts. What, what is success as we deal with our worries? I would suggest to you that that many of you will have my own experience. The older you get, the more there is to worry about. It's, it's simple. The more people that you love, the, the more sense of responsibility you have for those that you love, the, the more you're aware of, of, of difficulties, and the more you encounter deaths, the more you encounter your, your own weaknesses. Anticipate a path where there are more worries. What we want to do is we want to Simply continue on the path. When we run off it and, and attend to our worries, we want to, we want to come back to the path and, and we want to grow in being wise people who listen. And by the way, it seems as though on this path, one of the other things that happen is, Jesus says, why don't you talk to me? Why don't you talk to me? You're obviously sort of distracted by all these different things in life. Speak about those things. What are those things? Speak about them. Let's speak about them together. By the way, I, I suspect there's some people here who, who worry is a very black and white matter. You have worries, and your, your advice to yourself is to stop it, and you actually do. You actually stop it. How many of you are like that? My, if my wife was here, she would have to raise her hand. Raise your hand high. Raise your hand high, please. There are a lot of you here like that. Uh, you know, there are two people in the world. There are, there are some who can say stop it to their anxieties, and they work. There are other people who say stop it to their anxieties, and they proliferate. Uh, my, my wife is, is one who says, there's no re- why would I worry about these things? Because there's nothing I can do about it. My response is, what does that have to do with it? it uh, that's irrelevant. <laughs> uh, Let's, let me see if I can try to turn things around a bit. If indeed, if indeed you're of the ilk where you say, why worry? That's, I feel a little bit sorry for you. Because, because worries are such a delightful opportunity to cry out to the Lord for his mercy. To, to practice listening. To, to get back on the path and, and to speak with him. You, you miss some of those those opportunities. You, be careful also. You might be a little bit insensitive to those of us who are more skilled warriors and wonder why, it, why don't you ever get it? This is, this is I think, a probably an important matter. Success is not that I become like my wife. Success is that when I'm afraid, I will turn to you. I, I, I want to keep practicing that rhythm. I want to listen for longer. I, I, I want to, when I'm distracted, I want to, perhaps I want to, I want to get back quicker to the conversation at hand. That's, that's what we're aiming for. And as we turn, what happens? He, he, he comes to this load that we carry, and he begins to take it off. That's mine. That's mine. That's about tomorrow. That's mine. That's mine. And, and, and what we're left with is, is, is not an unencumbered life. We're left with a busy life and with particular loads, but loads which are his very calling in our lives that he himself will, 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 will strengthen us to do them. The call to, to love those who are in front of us. The call to work. The call to to grow in obedience. The call to be aware uh, of those battlegrounds in our own life where, you know how this goes, there's some places where obedience is almost natural to us. We would, we would, we would do the right thing whether we were pagans or, 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 or followers of Christ. There are other areas of, lives, of our life where, where the battle with sin is, is, especially, is especially intrusive. 
And, and that's one of the weights that we carry to, to fight against sin even, even today. Speaking to a friend at church recently, what do you think of this? His wife is prone to worry, and he's not. And his wife called him at work one day and, and said that she, she, was, she was quite concerned about, uh, about the house being broken into. Uh, she was concerned about the house being robbed. She was concerned about being raped. And, and so the, the husband said, so the husband just said, give me, give me a little bit of time. And then he went to the statistics, the police blotters in the area. And what he found was there had been no, no break-ins or rapes within a two-square-mile area of their house. And that's what he offered to his wife. How does that sound? For those of you who just are the stop, just stop it kind of ilk, you say, what else is there to say? Yet at the same time, the husband needs to be rebuked. He needs to be rebuked. Because, because any pagan could have done those things. You're scared of bridges? Well, let me give you the physics of bridges. And this is the way they stand. Now, come on. Why are you still anxious about these things? Do you see how, even though we can understand there is some merit to that, it is ultimately an atheistic argument. Let's manage this with our own understanding. We will, we, we, will, we will study snakes so we're not scared of them. We will study bridges. Whatever it is that we are especially scared of, we'll study the statistics on that, and we will conquer it. You see how you know, we, there's, something, there's something understandable and, and apt about that, but there is something profoundly wrong. We will deal with this by our wits. We will, we will deal with it as independent people. Now the question is, if your spouse calls you and speaks about those kinds of fears, what are you going to do? Here's, here's, here's a very biblical, profoundly theological answer. Honey, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. That's not, that's not that there isn't a lot to say, but I don't know. I, I don't know how to help you. There are some things that are too large for, for us to understand. And what you're raising is a very troubling matter. And, and let me turn to the one who has made these promises to us. Let me turn to the one who says, I'll never leave you, for, never forsake you. Uh, and and, 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 and why, don't you, why don't you take time to... To, to speak about how attached to those promises are things that can be very, very difficult. People do have their houses robbed. People have been raped. Speak those things to the Lord. In, in, in other words, in other words, a, a very profound way that, that you can help another person is, is not by giving an answer, but by saying that indeed is a very challenging matter. It is, it is beyond you, it is beyond me. Or, or perhaps, I don't know. I don't know. Isn't that a funny thing to, to hear at a counseling conference? We, we, here we have the, 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 this, this wealth of scripture and so much that God says to us. But, but the privilege of being able to say, I don't know. But, but we know to whom to turn. And we know that for sure. And somehow we also know that in, 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 in turning to him, we have been given the privilege of doing something that has eternal significance. Okay. So, so worries give us an opportunity to, to begin to redefine what is success and, and what is spiritual growth. By the way, I'm, I'm, what I'm doing is I'm still reflecting on, on things from, from yesterday. We'll move into some other things in just a moment. Uh, another question. What do you do? This is a bit of a rhetorical question. Uh, if we have time, maybe we can respond to it. What do you do if you have children or if you're teaching Sunday school and people are concerned about monsters? 
What do you say to the children? I'm thinking, because I have grandchildren who are concerned about monsters. Uh, Some of you, I'm sure, have these exquisite things to say, and and I would be interested in hearing them. My response, I, I think what I've found with my grandchildren is I've tried to say a bunch of exquisite things, things that I thought were exquisite, and they were completely irrelevant to them. Uh... And what do I find right now? The, when you're in the dark, it can be scary. <laughs> when you're in the dark, it can be scary. And in, in, in Alden, I'm going to pray that you would know that Jesus is with you. And then the next day, I'll, I'll, I'll do the same thing. Was Jesus, did, did you remember that Jesus was with you last night? And not only, he doesn't even answer the question. He just talks about Legos or monsters or whatever it might be. And let's pray. In fact, Alden, why don't you, Alden's the other four-year-old grandson. Alden, why don't you pray tonight? Why don't you pray that, that, that tonight Jesus would, would carry our burdens? Because night, the night is hard. It's, it's, it, it's a little scarier. Let's pray that he would carry our burdens. And then you do it the next night. And then you do it the next night. (laughs) One of the nice things about scripture is that there there is so much that God says, and there's so much depth, yet yet we don't have to be smart. Uh, We don't have to have the clever response to things. It's part of growing up to be a child. There is something praiseworthy in simply persevering in a certain way of praying according to the promises of God. And sometimes our cleverness is intended to try to solve the problem so no longer do our kids have these fears rather than, rather than with them acknowledge that we indeed all have fears as, our, as humans and, and we're not saying to them, but wait till you turn 40. Uh, then you're going to know something about fears. You think the monsters are a problem right now? Wait until you get bosses and on and on and on. Um, it, it's, isn't it true that in, 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 in Scripture's ministry to you, it hasn't been these profoundly insightful comments. It hasn't been somebody giving you a very clever way of thinking about monsters and and trying to delete monsters from from your imagination. It's been something much more like a walk. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm with you in this. You're on my heart. How can we pray together? Those that, that's the staple of, of our ministry to, to one another. What I'd like to do with, uh, with the rest of our time this morning is, is the, the image remains. We are people who are in a walk, but we accumulate these burdens in the midst of this walk. And, and, and a significant part of our lives is, is, is what do we do with those burdens? What are the ones that Jesus takes? What are the ones that we are left with? How do we, how do, how do we, how do we find more depth in what Scripture says to us as we carry these burdens of life? The, the prominent burdens that, that we're going to carry, at least according to Scripture, they're going to have to do with death and sickness and everything related to death. They're going to have to do with, with money and fears that we're not going to have enough. And they have to do with people. When scripture talks about our worries, those are, those are the prominent ones. And, and what I'd like to speak about this morning is how people can, can become a kind of burden for us that, that make life much, much more difficult. We'll call it the fear of man and Let's just see if we can first identify it, and then we'll begin to, to move through Scripture. A woman I was speaking to last week who 
who said yes, she would babysit some other people's children. And here's a woman who does not have that much money. Uh, she has an intact family. And she had, to, she had to get a babysitter for her own children while she was babysitting somebody else's children. Now, the, the, the burden... And, 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 and she was speaking about this burden. And, and it is, we began to talk. It was obvious that that was just the last episode of when people ask her to do something, she's got to do it. It's, it, it, it's, it, it is her life. What's going to happen if she says no to one of her neighbors or to one of the requests at church? What happens to her own reputation before others? Or what happens to God's reputation? Her life is utterly overwhelmed because of simple requests that people make and, and her being persuaded she has to say yes to, to all of them. It can come in all kinds of different forms. Uh, we used to get Christmas cards from a, a colleague of mine. Uh, nobody you would know. But, but the, the, the Christmas card was, was, would speak about the amazing things that the kids had done over the past year. They were merit scholars, they were all American everything, and, and, and they were ordained preachers when they were 12 years old. I'm only, I'm only exaggerating just a very little bit, a uh, very little bit. Uh, so every year we would get these Christmas cards, and after a while I noticed I stopped opening the Christmas card. Because it just, it just felt like another burden, uh, where... where who am I? Okay, here are my kids. I thought they were the greatest kids in the world. Uh, but now I find these other standards. And what kind of parent am I that my kids are not merit scholars who are all American and everything? And what's the female equivalent of being preachers at 12 years old? I don't know. Um, uh, it's, it, it's, what will people think of me when, when they see my kids are, are wonderful, wonderful kids. But I suspect from worldly standards, they might seem sort of ordinary, as are most of us, of course. Or the man who, who, who feels the pressures of life. And this is, this, is, this is not quite a stereotype, but it happens more often than not. Who feels the pressures of life, yet, yet the last thing in the world you want to do is acknowledge to someone that you're overwhelmed and burdened. There's something so countercultural about that. And so what you do instead is you get angry. <laughs> uh, because one other thing, one, and a person asks you to do one other thing, and you get angry with them because you're carrying around these burdens that feel like they're too much to bear. And, and the last thing you want to do is look weak before even the, those who, who love you the most. You see the theme. The theme is that, that our lives have these different burdens. Our goal is to have them divested by the person of Christ. And, and sometimes we're going to divest them ourselves. Here is one of the burdens, the expectations of other people. Our reputation before other people. Uh, our, the lack of approval or, or the approval from, from others. My six-year-old granddaughter who is in first grade. The one who knows everything. Uh, and unless she's at the beach and and every single day she cries about going to school she well she first demands that she doesn't need to go to school and then she cries because because every day is a popularity context every day is uh, am i going to be included at recess with with the kids every day is will the secrets be told to me or will the secrets be told about me? This is first grade. She was doing the same thing in kindergarten. The, what is it? It's, it's this six-year-old girl who, she's got things going on in her life. She's got things she has to do. But it is, it is, it is, it is more heavily weighted because of people. And in her sense that she might not be measuring up, she might not be included in the way that she thinks she should be included. I'll give you one other illustration, because this is, this is one I'm trying to keep track of in my own life. Uh, I, don't tend to, I don't tend toward anger, at least overt anger. It doesn't mean I don't struggle with frustrations and all kinds of more covert anger. But I, I, I'm not a yeller and a screamer around, around my house. So when, when my anger comes out, it, it, 
tends to be, tends to capture my attention and, and the attention of my family. I would say that, that, that twice a year or so, my wife and I will have a bit of a row and it, that, it will, you know, it, since we're living with other people, they'll, they'll see it. The, the row is, is almost inevitably, I want... My wife's job is to approve of me. My wife's, my wife's job is to respect me. Is to, is to somehow, it's, it sounds so archaic, but, but her job is to is think that I am the greatest person in the world. And, and she might have raised something that suggests that she doesn't think that I'm necessarily perfect. And, and I respond in anger. What... What is it? It's, it's all kinds of things. It, it's, it's being controlled by what I feel like I need from my wife. I, I, I need her approval. And when she's, when she's being nice, everything's fine. The system works well. But as soon as she disapproves, I, the, the burden is too much to bear. And, some, and I revert to typical masculinity. And instead of saying, oh, that was hard, I, I get angry. If nine times out of ten, if I am angry in my own home, it's because somehow it's about people and it's about the approval of other people, the respect of other people that I must have in order to live. So we're, we're getting a little bit more specific with the burdens. And a lot of the burdens are related to, to people and and their, their opinions or their possible opinions. Now, this morning, we're going to briefly take a look at it from one side, and then, then after a short break, we're going to look at it from another side. One side, Scripture talk, talks about is the fear of man. And it's basically, I, I need others to feel acceptable. I need others. I need their approval. The... The other, and, and, and what we're going to find in Scripture is that particular angle. And, I'm, and, and we can assume that that is in all of us. For some of us, it's more palpable. But for all of us, it's present. This, this what do people think about me, living for the approval of other people, is, is, is a theme that goes throughout Scripture. And it, it is a symptom of we are thinking too highly of ourselves. It, it, feels, it, it feels pitiable, it feels poor me many times, it feels like a sense of worthlessness, but it comes out of, I want to be great, and I'm not being perceived as being great. I'm not standing out the way I would like to, I'm not fitting in the way, the way I must. There, so scripture's movement here is going to be somehow to, to decrease those who, who are lifted up. Yet we're going to come to another side a little bit later today. And the other side is, is people have hurt you. And they have rejected you. And, and that has been a horrible burden. Burden of shame that you've had to carry. And it makes all of life onerous. And... and, and and the issue is not so much that you need to be taken down a notch and, 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 and somehow be immune to the disapproval of other people. What it is, is, is the Lord will come to you and in the midst of your rejection, he will lift you up, not bring you down. And, and what you're going to find in your own lives is that we need both. <laughs> that, we are, we, that, that, that we are lifted up and we want that approval. We want, we, want, we want to be B-plusers or A-minusers. We want to somehow stand out among the rest it's with something that's uniquely our own. We want that approval and we want that reputation. And, and, and all of this, how can we think more accurately about ourselves? We're not that great. Uh, and, and everything we have has been given to us. On the other hand, there are, there are times where we have been hurt and disgraced by other people. And the Lord does not say you're too concerned about the opinions of others. 
He says, you have been treated disgracefully. And now come. And, and I will lift you up. And on one side he says, he says you're, you're a mere creature. You're dust. Dust that he loves, but dust all the same. On this side, he, he says that you are a child of the very king who has been brought close to the king and everything that is his is yours. So your head can be lifted up. So, so those are the two things that we're going to be considering this morning. Right now, we're especially interested in, in how we can be a little bit puffed up and it can come out in all kinds of different ways. Words such as, I need approval, I feel like I need significance, I need acceptance, I need love, I need reputation, I need respect. Issues of success and failure being dominant in our lives. Always struggling with a sense of inadequacy, low self-esteem. Low self-esteem, by the way, is, is, is so often, how do you esteem me? We try to sort of get the average of that, and that's the way we're going to esteem ourselves. Uh, so, so we're taking our cues from, from other people. Somebody put, somebody put a title uh, in one of my books. I didn't do it, but um, the title was, What Do You Think of Me? What do you think of, me, think of me? And why do I care so much about what you think about me? That's, that's a, those are questions that resonate with, with most all humanity. As, as, as a bit of encouragement, or as a bit of, of trying to raise the stature of this and say it's important, consider, consider briefly this particular theme in Scripture. I, I guess in, in one sense our, our task right now is okay, we're beginning to identify a particular genre of burden that we carry around. And, and, and again, for some of us it's going to be easy to identify. For others it's going to take a little bit more work. But it, it, it exists within all humanity in some form or another. If this is important, we should find it everywhere in Scripture. Otherwise, Scripture would be quite a disappointment where it's speaking about what's to come and leaves us on our own today. If, if indeed, what do you think about me and why do I care? It's such a burning question. Then, and if the things in our hearts are, are important to the Lord, we would hope that Scripture speaks of it, and it certainly does. So let me just remind you very briefly of of this theme as it goes throughout Scripture. We can pick it up most clearly when we get to Abraham, where, where Abraham twice, in Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis chapter 20, he, now th- these, these are interpretively challenging passages, but, but there is something wrong here. The first one is with Pharaoh. He is, he said, he, Pharaoh he, Abraham is essentially saying, I need... I'm controlled. I need Pharaoh to give life to me and my family. So when we go, tell them you're my sister. It's it's degrading. Whatever his reasons were, they were wrong. I'm being controlled by Pharaoh. He has, in a sense, become my God. And, and we have to live by our wits right now. Uh, Lord, you know, we're, we're trying to follow where God has taken us, but now it's no longer time to trust the Lord. We are in trouble. This person has some sort of authority. And it's not so much what will he think about us, but, but he has authority not over our reputation, but even over our lives. And then, as if to punctuate this, comes back in Genesis 20, and the exact same thing happens. It looks as if... There was a scribal error. And somebody is telling the same story but with different names. Where, now, but, but this time it's a, tri, it's, a, it's a small tribal king. And it looks a bit more pitiful. Tell them that you're my sister. And the Lord graciously exposes the, the ruse. I need something from you. That seems, to be the, that seems to be the essence of this. You have something I must have in order to live. You find it again in Numbers 13 to 14. We can't go in there because they are giants and we are grasshoppers. The entire history of Israel turns on what will people do to us. 
Here their God has just demonstrated that he's the God over all. And the spies go into the land and said, yeah, they're, yeah, they're, they're people who are settled. But we can take them. And, and meanwhile they're saying, no, these are giants and we are mere grasshoppers. We, the history of Israel turns because, because we need life. Not from God but from these settlers in, in the promised land. Saul's history moves on this as well. When Saul was told to, to completely eradicate the goods uh, and, and everything about a neighboring country, and he, he left some things. He left certain, certain booty uh, and, and treasure to disperse. And... He lost the kingship as a result of that. And his response was, what? I, I, I need the approval of other people. What are the people going to say? What are the people going to say when they could have had some of these good things and I don't give them these good things? It's, it's this, this need for approval. It wasn't, his life wasn't at stake here. It was his reputation. It was people, why, do I, why, why is it so important that you like me? And... Saul had the same struggle. David identifies this as a critical issue. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. But the particular kind of fear he's talking about is people. It's not so much money. It's not so much death. It's, well, death, but what people can, how people can bring death. When I'm afraid, I will trust in you. What, after all, what can man do to me? What can man do to me? Well, they can take his life. That's a small thing. They, they can take body, but they can't take soul. After all, what can man do to me? Proverbs 29 talks about how being controlled, needing something from other people more than we need it from the Lord, will be a snare. It's a, it will be a snare for humanity. The fear of man will be a snare. Jeremiah 17, it, 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 it says there are two ways of living. One way is that, that your roots go down essentially to Christ himself, the living water. And, and when your roots go down to Christ, when you need him above all else, then you will flourish even in the midst of drought. But if you, it's interesting, it, 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 it's, it, it's all collapsed into this particular theme that we're identifying. If you put your trust in man, if you're saying, no, I need what he or she can give me above all else, what it's going to be, you will feel like, you, you will feel like you're constantly in this drought and you will not flourish. Jeremiah 17 is saying, Israel, this is, this is the whole story. Will you, will you, Need your God or will you need other people? Will you live for the approval of God or, or, or for the approval of other people? Uh, will you trust in your God or will you trust in, in other people? By the time you get to the New Testament, the, this, this people-pleasing, if you will, was so, was so transparent that when Jesus would speak, and he wasn't trying to tickle people's ears, even though he, and, he, and he was saying things that were true, he stood out. He, the, 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 the people even said, you're not like the Pharisees who, who essentially say the things that, that, um, that, will, that will enhance their own reputation. You are not swayed by men. You pay no attention to who they are, is what they say in Matthew twenty-two sixteen. And then, of course, the one of the most poignant episodes in all of scripture, actually there are two of them, is, is when someone walked with Jesus for a few years and, and then, then when Jeremiah 17 was offered him, put your trust in the Lord rather than your trust in man. And, and a little servant girl said, weren't you with him? A little servant girl, that's the... It's trying to make a point here. A little servant girl questions him, and, and he makes it very clear that, no, I'm not with this Jesus guy. What will the little servant girl think of me? 
if I do these things. Now, there are other reasons why he did it, but the text is being very clear. When Peter is, is, is around that little fire, it's a servant girl first who, who comes to him, just a little girl of insignificance. And she is the, the giant in the land at that particular time. Peter's, Peter's story, it turns a bit on, will you trust in the Lord or will you trust in people? And, and then, in the New Testament, there is only one episode of an apostle's sin in, in all the epistles. And you know this, this is the story of, 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 of Galatians. And, and the apostle Paul confronting Peter publicly and writing about it now for all of us to know because he's saying Peter was more concerned about his own reputation. So when he was with the Jews, he played it like a Jew. When he was with the Gentile, he played it like the Gentiles. He was playing it both ways because he wanted to be approved by them. And, and Paul, Paul, Paul just lashes in to the legalism uh, that, that that represented to the Jews and to the Gentiles. So in other words, we're in good company. And scripture identifies that, that, that look around and you can find these kinds of things in your own soul. Now where? How do we, how do we continue to probe scripture on this? Scripture has always given, already given us a few leads. Let's see if we can track them out well. We indeed feel as though we need things from each other. We, we certainly feel like we need the respect of certain people. And we don't have to have it from everybody. The approval of, of certain people. We certainly feel like we need love from particular people. There are some, if they don't love us, we can, we can live without it. But there are others we feel like we are going to die if we don't love them if, as, as we would like to be loved. Is it wrong to... To need love? It, I think it's that word, that word need. It, it, it's, it, it is, it's underneath the word need is I must have this in order to live. I must have this in order to live. Whatever you feel like you need from another person, that person has now become your God. And you have turned to them for something that they were not intended to give you. What do you need? Whatever you need from another person is, is going to be a weight on your back that makes the burdens of life much, much more difficult. Here's, here's how scripture configures it. Here's, by the way, this is, what we're going to say now is just very ordinary, but, but we're, going to, we're going to go into the human heart, and we're going to speak about things that we all know, but, but we know them because God himself has revealed them to us. These are, these are some of the mysteries of the universe. And here's some of the mysteries of the universe. We are people of desire. We're people of desire. That's what scripture identifies. And, and you desire many things. You desire food at the right time. You, you, you desire love. And if you didn't desire love from significant people in your life, there would, there would be something inhuman about you. You, you desire work that, that seems somewhat meaningful. It seems like it contributes. You, you desire a good reputation among, among believers and, and those who don't follow Christ. You have lots of desires. You have many desires. What scripture says, though, and here's, here's this wonderful mystery that, that, that we're so grateful it's revealed. Desires don't tend to be stagnant desires. They don't just sort of hang out. Left unattended, desires can become these ruling or selfish desires. Scripture will speak of them. James 1 talks about that. James, James 4 talks about that. Where do fights and quarrels come from? They come from these desires that, have, that, that perhaps were ordinary in a, in, in a small contained form, but now they have grown huge to a need, to I must have this, and this person is interfering with the things that I must have. 
Here's the nature of our hearts. Isn't it so gracious that, that God gives us this, this vantage point? That we have many, many desires. And in our desire, our, our, our goal is to, is to keep them contained as desires. And to be alert to the ones that tend to exceed the boundaries of desires and become inordinate desires, or to use other language, they become idols in our lives. They're New Testament idols. The, where, where the person in your house is not a mere person. They are an idol. They, and what do you do with an idol? An idol is what you worship because you want it to give you something. That's, we, we worship an idol not because we think the idol is the greatest thing in the world. It, it's, remember what the, the first time I went to India and, and watched sort of Old Testament idol worship in, 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 in modern times. And there was, a, there was a family that was doing this very, very devoted kind of worship at a particular idol. And the idols are strewn all around. The, you know, they're in street corners. And we, we went close, and the person was able to understand Hindi that I was with. And, and what, you know, what was going on? Well, they, they just bought a truck. And, and they, were, they were feeding the god, not because they loved the god, but because they got, wanted the god to give them what they wanted. And they wanted a truck that would be immensely profitable and make them a lot of money and never break down. See, ultimately, our idolatry is very self-centered. It's, it's I want this for me. Uh, but it can feel like this incredible weight that, that we carry around. Desires that we all have. Desires for recognition, perhaps, or for, for job, job well done. Desire for love seems to summarize so many, many of the, the desires that we have. Of course we have these desires. It's when desires become demands. It's when desires become needs. That's, that's when we're observing the, the growth of, of an idol. And, and there are many things that, that God takes off our backs in the midst of these walks. Jesus says, that's, that's tomorrow, that's mine. That's tomorrow, that's mine. That's tomorrow, that's mine. That's you being concerned about whether you're going to grow an inch over. That's, that's mine. And, but there are other things, he says, and this is yours. Here's something that, that you yourself have the privilege of, of divesting. How can you, you, you tear down the idol in your life? So it becomes, goes, moves back to a desire. See, our idolatry is because our own desires become paramount. There's, this, there's a certain self-centered, even exaltation in, in the midst of it. And, and how... <laughs> what do you think about me? Well, it can be a consuming question. What, why might I care? Because I want to be great. <laughs> Because I have, a, I have a need to be great in your eyes. That's, you see, the, the self-exaltation in such things. Repentance, ultimately, is, is the way that, that, that our desires shrink and, and we, we return to, to more human levels. Quick consideration of Christ on this. He is the human being. So all eyes always are drawn back to Jesus. If we want to understand how we are to live, how the human being is constructed. And here's what we find with Jesus. He was always disrespected. He was never understood. He was persistently rejected, even by by his own disciples. But in the midst of that, he never reviled never made threats. Instead, he, in humility, he, he gave those, he casted his anxieties on his father. I'm, I'm paraphrasing 1 Peter chapter 2. He, he gave his concerns to his, to his father who judges justly. Did Jesus have a need to be loved? If, if he did, he would have been the most miserable of men. 
Was, was, was there that humanness where he desired such things from those around him? Of course. But the desire, there, there was a higher need that he had. And the higher need was such things such as he feeds, he, 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 more than food, more than air, he feeds, I'm thinking of Deuteronomy chapter 8, he feeds on the very words of his father. Uh, and from that sustenance, his, his, what he needs to love those the Father has given him. That's what he needs. What he needs are faith expressing itself in love, essentially. And, and, and then, when we see that style, we're no longer utterly controlled and dominated by what people do, say, could do. We are hurt by what they do and what they could do in what they have done. So the Christian life, it does not spare us anxieties. That's, that's not, come to Christ and you won't have any anxieties. Chances are they will continue to proliferate, but you will know to whom to turn. Likewise, come to Christ and you won't feel the burden of, of, of the disapproval of other people and the rejection of other people. Well, that's not true either. You will, fear, you will feel it in a different way, perhaps even more acutely. When you are unloved by people who are called to love you, it is going to be very, very hard. It is going to be incredibly painful. And you're going to turn to Christ in the midst of it. And then you're going to turn to Christ for wisdom. Lord, now how do I live? It will be painful, but you won't be undone by such things. So... What we're doing is we're looking a little bit more carefully at some of the things that, that can weigh us down. And scripture calls it the fear of man. Our desire for things from other people have, have become exalted because we exalt ourselves. Here's some of the things that, that scripture offers us, that the Lord himself offers us. Number one. It's hard to be rejected. It's hard to be ignored. It's hard to not be liked by those you like. Surprising, isn't it? In the, in the midst of our sort of self-exalted style, his, there, there is a, there's, it is hard. These are desires that, that, are being, that are being crushed. It's hard when people tell secrets at school. And you're not in on them. It's hard when you have to swing on the swings by yourself. And, and, uh, and they're only kindergartners to play with rather than other first graders. These are just really, really hard things. Now for some of us, that's, that might be all we say to our children. But the, the scripture goes further. Ah, this is an opportunity. This is an opportunity. It, it's hard, but... But things that are hard, as now we are in Christ, they inevitably become opportunities. The hardships of life, they reveal something about our souls. And there are these, these occasions to turn to Christ and to grow in him. What do we see? What do you think about me? And I care way too much, but I don't know what to do about it. And perhaps scripture might take us here first. You, you see, we haven't gotten to repentance quite yet. We'll get to those things. But there, there are all kinds of other ways we can minister to each other, and there are all kinds of other ways the, the Spirit ministers to our own soul in the midst of this. What's the opposite of the fear of man? Why do you have your cell phone? That's my cell phone. <laughs> Anybody else have crickets here? <laughs> they're, my, they're my very distinctive crickets. Um, uh, what's the opposite of, 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 of fear? What's the opposite of the fear of man? What's the opposite of the fear of man? What are, we, what are we aiming for? Here might be some things. The opposite of the fear of man, and I'm, I'm, here I'm capturing, it's, it's ultimately a kind of self-worship. A worship of our own desires. The, it's, it's, you're an idol to serve me, ultimately. 
to the opposite of the fear of man is to be a servant of others. It's to be a servant. The opposite of the fear of man is to, is to be more and more controlled by Christ himself and in what he has done than, than other people. Or, or, or to, or to, or to, um, to quote a, a mentor of mine, the opposite of the fear of man is cheer up. You're much worse than you think. Uh, he, would say, he would say that probably once a month in Sunday sermons. Cheer up that you're worse than you think. Uh, you're, uh, you're not all that great shakes. You, you have tons of weaknesses and you have sins that you're aware of and plenty that you're not aware of. Cheer up. You're worse than you think. And God's love is greater than you could possibly imagine. See, it's, it's that note of reality. We're not that great shakes, no matter how you look at us. Uh, and, and we stand not because of our own reputation, our own resumes. We stand because of Christ himself. So confess, confess. I know sometimes for me, it, the confession is really a question. Why do I care so much? about what other people think. Why do I care? It's, 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 it's saying, Lord, I care way too much about these things, and I know it's about me. Oh, dear, have mercy. Have mercy. Why do I care about these things so much? Have mercy, Lord. In, in these walks, speak to me. Grow me in the midst of these things. Teach me more about being a child. See, a child, a true child doesn't have, to be this, doesn't have to be great before others because the child knows they're not great. They, they, they actually don't know everything and, and they don't have all abilities in themselves. When in doubt, confess. brings a certain clarity. And it's, our desires are too big. Lord, teach me. Teach me, teach me how, to, how, 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 to, how to love people rather than to idolize them. How to serve them rather than more than, than I need them. And, and oh, by the way, here, here's, here's a curious thing that happens. Um, you need love from other people? Well, turn to Jesus and, and he'll love you. It's not quite that simple. Let me explain what I mean. So you, you see, if, if, if our desire for love is needing love, it's all about us, and it's about our own desires feeling good about, self, Jesus, about, about ourselves, Jesus does not intend to satisfy such things, nor is he able to do that. For, let me give you an example of this. So I'm in high school, and typical guy, I, I, I was dating someone, and I never said a word about it to my parents, just playing things as close to the vest as I possibly could. And the, the, the girl I was dating, she dumped me that particular day. And I came home, and of course, typically, typically I think my parents have no idea what's going on, but they knew a good bit more than I realized. And my mom sort of sussed out that I'd been dumped by this person. And she said to me, she said, Eddie, we really love you. We really love you. What do you think? That's no, better that she loves, loves me rather than hates me. But at that particular time, it, had, it was completely irrelevant. I didn't care one bit whether my mom loved me. Because this other person, my idol, had let me down. And that person was not loving me, and my life was undone. I don't care who loves me, that my, my, my idol person has forsaken me. You see, you see, you see how it works. It's, I need this love from other people. I need it so I can feel good about myself. Well, maybe Jesus will make me feel good about myself. And what you're going to find is he doesn't, he's not enough. He's like your mother saying that she loves you when, when you feel this tragedy of a broken relationship. It's better than nothing, but it doesn't quite get there. So even, even to be recipients of the love of Christ... It's, Lord, why do I care so much about me? Forgive me. 
And, and then from that posture of humility and need, what does he do? He rains his love on us. And he, he rains his, his, don't you see that I value you more than all, all these things? He, he takes us back on this walk and, and continues his, his beautiful words. Dot, the dot, the dot. And there's more we can say, and there's more we can say, and there's more we can say, which is, which is one of the great encouragements of, of Scripture. Before you go for a break, let me just give you a couple people. It's with a, it's with a, uh, a, a, a probably the, the most well-known Christian of another country a little while ago. And a and, um, prominent, wonderful man. And the first thing he did when we got together was he spoke about his family. He spoke about his children. Uh, all his children had turned away from Jesus. One of them had been in a psychiatric hospital. One had been dabbling with drugs. And the other one was just simply an avowed atheist who was trying to speak as vocally against God as her father was speaking for him. My point there is, is that that's not... That's not what spiritual leaders do. They don't advertise the problems in their home. And he asked me if I would pray for him. That he would, be, he would, he would love his family well. And if there are things that, that, that the Lord is calling him to repent of, he would continue to have a lifestyle of repentance in his own home, especially before his own children. Isn't that a great story? Do you see the freedom in this man? Can you, can you see? Here's a man who's not, who's not constantly thinking, what can I tell you about myself so you will think better of me? Here's a man who is secure in Christ and there is nothing to hide. And so he's free to be a child and he says, pray for me. Isn't that beautiful? The, the word I get is, 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 is this church it has similarities. The, the, I've never met Brad, but, but the few things I hear about Brad is, is you see in him a man who, who doesn't have to necessarily amass his resume. He's free to talk about his weaknesses. And when he talks about his weaknesses, there's something, curiously, there's something attractive about that. There's something, there's something quite beautiful about it. it, it that's... That's the way we were intended to live. Not trying to wreck this, this edifice so other people will, will, will enjoy it. But this, this, this honesty before others where we can know and be known without artifice, without all kinds of adornment. I suspect for, for many of you, that's why you're here. Because you have, you've come to a church where there is a... where, where, where essentially the fear of man... Is, is under attack. And, and it's under attack by exalting our God and, and reveling in our neediness and our childlikeness. Maybe one other person. My daughter. Um, my daughter was the one who paid the babysitter. Okay. Uh, who, and she was just overwhelmed. And... And she took these questions very seriously. Why do I care so much about my reputation? And, and it was a complicated one. She wanted to be liked, but she also she was in a new neighborhood with new people, and she wanted to stand for Christ well. And, and here's, here's, here's where we don't have all these answers, but we know how to pray. Where, where, where I am in my relationship with my daughter right now is she's aware indeed that a component of the stresses and strains of life is, is she wants to be liked by her neighbors. She needs to be liked by her neighbors and how can she simply want that rather than need it? She also, she also wants the name of Christ to be honored. That's a complicated one when a neighbor is asking if you'd be willing to do something and you have 20 other things that you need to do. It is a complicated one. And, and I'm sure there are times where, where she's going to say yes to babysitting when it, it, it overburdens her life. 
Christ doesn't lead us into a life that's nice and easy. <laughs> it's, it's filled with difficult decisions. And sometimes it feels like there is more that we're doing than we could possibly do. And we turn to him, his children, and say help. And ask for wisdom from each other. And ask the Spirit to continue to give us wisdom. Let me pray. Father, continue to teach us some of these things. We, we, we are so grateful that, that we don't have to have mastery of these matters of our own hearts. You, you yourself, you turn the lights on these things, and we bring them to you. And, 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 and in a year, perhaps we will be a little bit different. Five years, a little bit wiser. Lord, you who began this good work, would you continue to do it among us and in us. In the name of Christ, amen.